Good morning, so good to see you. Welcome Blue Springs and all of you watching online. This is a monumental day at Abundant Life because we're gonna end today the series, Weapons of Our Warfare. But not only that, we are ending a series through the entire book of Ephesians that we began a year ago. Off and on, we worked our way through line by line, verse by verse. If this is your first time today, you're not maybe familiar with us, we like studying the Bible, books of the Bible, not just principles from the Bible, but actually learning the Word of God. Because as you learn the Word of God, you grow in your walk with God. You cannot grow spiritually if you're not growing deeper scripturally. And so we are just finishing this book of Ephesians line by line that we've worked our way through over the last year. Now, this is the last day that we're going to be in our series, Weapons of Warfare. It is a series built on the book that I've authored called The Weapons of Warfare. If you haven't got a copy, you can pick one up before you leave, either at Blue Springs or right here in Lee Summit at the Next Steps desk. Remember, I don't get any royalties, no money from the sale of these books at all. I don't write them for money. I write them because I'm convinced the truth therein has the power to set people free. And so uh, you could do something for me. It would really help get the word out a little more beyond the walls of our church. If you go to Amazon and write a review, I'm told that Amazon will promote books based on the number of reviews. And so that would be very helpful because I really am convinced it could edify the body of Christ greatly beyond just abundant life. We're going to pick up our study where we left off a week ago in Ephesians 6 and verse 18. The Apostle Paul writes these words in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Now, he's signing off not just his teaching on the armor of God, but his entire letter, the letter to the Ephesians. These are his final thoughts, his farewell. And he writes these words, he says, pray always, he says, for me that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Remember, he's under house arrest in Rome. He's been arrested for nothing more than preaching the gospel. He's probably chained to a Roman guard day after day after day. And the Spirit of God begins to give him the metaphor that God shows him in that every part of the Roman armor in some way pictures physically our armor spiritually that God has given us to make war against the enemy. Now what amazes me right here is he's telling the church at Ephesus to pray always and to pray for him specifically. But let's be honest, most of us, if we're under house arrest in Rome, and we know that any day we're going to go before the court of Nero, and Nero at this time in history is the Roman emperor that hates Christians and is literally setting Christians on fire and using them as a human torch to light up his garden at night. Most of us aren't going to be praying for boldness. Most of us are going to ask people to pray that we'll be exonerated, that we'll be set free, that I'll be found innocent, I'll get to go home, but not the Apostle Paul. Paul was saying, hey, don't pray that I might get set free. Don't pray that I might somehow live. Pray for boldness, that I can preach boldly the Word of God. Don't you love that about Paul? Hey, there's a whole different kind of prayer when you look in the New Testament as most, most of us be praying, you know, pray God protect me and God provide for me and God take care of me, these little timid prayers. But Paul, he's saying, hey, just pray that I will act 
boldly and courageously when God gives me opportunity. He goes on, but that you also may know my affairs and how I am doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. This is an awesome Bible name if you're having a baby soon, a baby boy. I mean, I got a Jacob, I got a Joshua, Jake and Josh, Tychicus. I wish I would have seen this ahead of time. Huh? So Tychicus was his partner in ministry. Tychicus was one of Paul's traveling partners. He's literally going to hand him this letter and say, Tychicus, I want you to take this to Ephesus, hundreds of miles away. This is how letters got around in the ancient days. No Pony Express, no U.S. Postal Service. They literally wrote them, gave them to someone, and said, will you take this then to Ephesus? And that's what's about to happen. He's about to put the end on this letter, pass it to Tychicus, and he's going to hand carry it, to Ephesus, to whom I've sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. I want you to notice something. As Paul is signing off this letter, He's not only ending his teaching on the armor of God, but he's ending all his teaching that we have learned in this letter to the Ephesians. And he concludes his teaching on the armor of God by reminding us that prayer is essential to winning our war against Satan's assault on our life. Remember, every single day, what are we learning? Ephesians 6 and verse 10, Paul says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand the wiles of the devil. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness of this age and spiritual wickedness in heavenly places. And he ends this teaching now as we've studied each element of the armor. And he says this, Don't forget to do this one thing. Pray always. Pray always. How often should we pray? He says in Ephesians 6, 18, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit, being watchful to the sin with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. He ends this dissertation on the armor of God by telling us a little bit about warfare prayer. He says pray always, but pray how? With supplication twice. He uses this word in one verse, supplication, perseverance. What is supplication? Supplication is when you are praying with urgency, in a state of emergency. I'm talking with perseverance and tenacity. It is learning to pray with a pit bull mentality. And that's what Paul was. He was a pit bull for Jesus. A pit bull, you know what a pit bull is, right? A pit bull is trained for war. A pit bull is bred to fight. And guess what? When a pit bull grabs on, it never lets go. And that's what Paul was for Jesus. He was a pit bull for the gospel. I mean, here's a man that they stoned to the point of death, but you couldn't stop him. Here's a man that was beaten repeatedly, but you couldn't stop him. Here's a man that was imprisoned and shipwrecked, but you couldn't stop him. They literally would have to cut off his head and separate his head from his body to stop him. He was a pit bull for Jesus. Listen, I love the apostle Paul because everywhere he went, there was either a riot or a revival, but nobody was ever the same when Paul had been there. 
And he's writing now this letter to the Ephesians. Do you know in Acts chapter 19, the whole chapter is about Paul's time in Ephesus years earlier where he had planted this very church. And that's exactly what happens. There was a revival and a riot simultaneously, but that city had been changed permanently. Why? Because he was a pit bull. And he's teaching us now what it means to pray warfare prayer with all supplication, with urgency, in a state of emergency. Listen, it's not these little timid, careful prayers that we used to pray. It's not this little vain repetition that we like to say, well, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. No, that's not a warfare prayer. God is good. God is great. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. No, that's not a threat to the enemy. Paul's talking about praying in a way that makes you a danger to the enemy. Praying a warfare prayer with supplication, with urgency, with that pit bull mentality, perseverance, never given up, never given in. And what we're learning is that prayer is how you put on the armor of God and what makes it operable and powerful in our life. Now, this is your first Sunday. We have taken each element of the Roman armor as outlined in Ephesians 6, 10 through 17, because what we learn is that each piece of armor physically is a picture of the armor of God he's given us spiritually so that we can stand against the warfare of the enemy. What we're learning is there is no literal armor to put on in the morning. There's no literal helmet of salvation you're going to put on before you go to work tomorrow morning, all right? There is no literal belt of truth you're going to put on. There's no shield of faith that you're literally going to strap on. Listen, if you show up to work in the morning dressed like a Roman soldier, You might be looking for another job. That's not what we're talking about, all right? What we are talking about, though, is learning how to get dressed for battle every day, and you do it through prayer. You literally pray on the armor, meaning every single day I go through the same type of routine. God, today I put on the belt of truth. Help me to walk in the truth, to be anchored in the truth. God, today I put on the helmet of salvation. Help me to guard my thoughts. Help me to mind the mind because the battle is in the mind. God, today. I put on the breastplate of righteousness. Help me to guard my heart because I know today Satan wants to put a poison dart through my heart. Help me to guard my heart from sin. Help me to make godly decisions within. Every single day, you're putting on the armor of God that way. God, today, help me to put up the shield of faith. Every single time, I sent a flaming arrow of the enemy, the lies of the enemy, and the onslaught of the enemy, those flaming arrows of affliction or depression or trials or tribulation. God, help me to put up my shield of faith. This is a quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You see, you put on the armor through prayer. And prayer is what makes it powerful. Prayer is what makes it operable. Listen very carefully. If you want to be powerful, you must become prayerful. Powerlessness is because of prayerlessness. Do you understand that you have the power of God as a child of God? You are way underestimate your power. Many of us are living a natural life when God says you can live a supernatural life. Do you understand what Jesus promised in Acts 1-8 is for you, and that promise has never been withdrawn in any capacity? 
Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. At the moment of salvation, when by faith you receive the Son of God, you also receive the Spirit of God, and with the Spirit of God, you receive the supernatural power of God to be a bold witness for God. We studied Ephesians chapter 3. Remember Ephesians 3 and verse 20. Here is a promise to you. He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Do you understand the same resurrection power that brought Jesus out of the grave is the same resurrection power that lives within you every single day? You do not have to live a powerless life, but if you find you're living powerless, it's probably because you're living prayerless. If you want to live supernaturally, you've got to live prayerfully because the degree you are prayerful, you'll start to live powerful. And I'm quite convinced that this is the reason the modern church lacks power sometimes, because we lack prayer. And we would go through the motions and we check it off, but when you begin to understand how dependent you truly are on him, it will drive you to him. It drives you to him in prayer. I'm, I'm telling you guys, I know what I'm talking about here, because I've lived through this the last 20 years of my ministry, last 20 years of my life. So 20 years ago, when I started pastoring and preaching, I knew theologically, I knew intellectually what Jesus said in John chapter 15, that apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, I knew what Jesus said. I believed it, you know, theologically, intellectually, but deep down, I think practically, I didn't really believe it. Like, Jesus, you really mean nothing? I mean, come on, I can do something. And when you realize finally your complete futility to do anything that matters for eternity, all of a sudden it begins to foster in you dependency. And as you are dependent on him, you are living in the power of him. You see, when you finally come to a place of futility, that apart from him I really can do nothing, it will drive you to prayer. And as you become more prayerful, you start living more powerful. I can tell you, this is the reason I am optimistic right now. Even though there's so much bad news in the world, listen, I'm optimistic. I think there's good news. The gospel is good news. And while there's a lot of bad news, I am optimistic for revival and awakening. I'll tell you why. Because I think for the first time in generations, the body of Christ is finally becoming desperate. Desperate for God. We are learning the complete futility of everything we do apart from him, matters not, it means nothing. There is a reason why there are credible stories that come from third world countries on the mission field of the miraculous, the move of God in miraculous ways. You know why I've been there? Because in third world countries, they literally don't have nothing but Jesus. Now we say Jesus is all we got, but that's not true. I mean, we got this, we got this, we got this, we got this. We don't really have to depend on him. If it's broke, we can usually fix it. If it's lost, we can usually replace it. If it hurts, we can usually take a pill for it. You see, we try to do everything for ourselves, and self-sufficiency is the opposite of spiritual dependency, and only when you finally become dependent on him will you learn to live in the power of God that dwells within See, that's what we're learning. I've just learned after 20 years, God, I, believe, I can't do anything. I am so desperate for him in my life. And because of that, I have become more prayerful. 
And I'm going to tell you, because of that, I've become more powerful to stand against the affliction, the fiery darts of the wicked one. Daniel chapter 10 is an amazing chapter. Paul was a powerful warrior for the gospel. Daniel was a powerful man of God. I want to go back to Daniel chapter 10. If you have a copy of the Word of God, I want to cross-reference Daniel 10. You know why? Because Daniel chapter 10, more than any other chapter, gives us a glimpse into the invisible realm. I want you to see what happens in the invisible realm when people pray. And it gives us just a little glimpse into the things you cannot see when people begin to pray. In Daniel chapter 10, Daniel, this ancient Hebrew prophet, has been in Babylon now most of his life. 605 BC, the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar conquers Jerusalem and Judah, carries off many of the choice Hebrew children back to Babylon as captives. Daniel was one of them. As a young teenager, he's lived in Babylon now all of his life. He has lived to see the Babylonian Empire rise and fall, and now the Persian Empire has just emerged as the ancient monarchs of the Middle East. And he begins to pray. God has given him a vision of the last days. By the way, a vision I'm convinced that we are seeing in some capacity emerge in our days. I'm going to come back and do Daniel again sometime soon. It's an amazing book. We are living in prophetic times, I'm telling you, church. Now, if you're Daniel living, you know, 600 years B.C., and God shows you things that are going to happen in the 21st century, you'd be a little troubled by what you see. He is seeing things for which human language hasn't even been invented. And he begins to pray, God, help me understand what I've seen. Daniel 10 and verse 1, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel, whose name was called Belteshazzar. The message was true, but the appointed time was long, and he understood the message and had understanding of the vision. In those days, I, Daniel, was mourning three full weeks. I ate no pleasant food, no meat, nor wine came into my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Here is Daniel. He has been on his face fasting and praying for 21 days straight. For three whole weeks, he is mourning over the things that he has seen that will happen in the end of days. And he is praying and fasting for 21 days. He says he didn't even anoint himself, meaning he didn't even take a bath. He hadn't taken time even for a shower. 21 days straight, he has fasted and prayed. I'm telling you, Daniel was a powerful man. Daniel was a threat to the enemy, a danger to the adversary, because he was willing to pray and fast for 21 days straight. Let me tell you the problem. In a modern American church, we're not willing to pray and fast for 21 minutes. That's right. That's a two-year-old's way of saying, amen, preach it. Hey, I'm serious. After two minutes, we're looking at our watch. Whoa. Here, there's the problem. He's prayed and fasting for 21 days. We think if God hadn't moved in the next two hours, God hadn't heard our prayer. I want you to see what we're learning. Here's the pattern in Scripture. It's through prayer and fasting that you become a threat to the enemy. Let me ask you, are you a danger to the adversary? Are you on the devil's danger list? You ought to be. As a child of God, you could be. 
Do you understand as a child of God, if you've been redeemed by the blood of the Son of God, you are in the Lamb's book of life. That is heaven's registry. God has a book of every name that's been redeemed. It's called the Lamb's book of life. Your name is known in heaven, but do you understand your goal ought to be to not only have a name known in heaven, you ought to want a name that is also known in hell. I love Acts chapter 19. It tells us what happens to Ephesus when Paul went there years earlier as he's now writing this letter to the Ephesians. And Paul is casting out demons. Yeah, demon possession is a real thing. It always has been. It still is today. I've witnessed it personally. It still is today. Now, don't go next door to that neighbor you can't get along with today and say, now I know what your problem is. <laughs> it probably won't go well from there. But demon possession is a real thing, still is. And Paul's casting out demons, and there's always wannabes, you know, who don't really, really want to follow the Son of God, but they still want the power of God. And, and uh, in Acts chapter 19, you, you have a record of these wannabes. They're trying to cast out demons, only this time the demon talks back to them. And you know what it says? The demon says, well, uh, Paul I know, and Jesus I know, but who are you? They were no threat to the adversary, and the adversary knew it. Who are you? We don't know you. Let me ask you, does the adversary know you? Do the demons back up when they see you coming? That is the kind of life that you can live. Through prayer and fasting, you become a threat to the adversary. Prayer and fasting releases God's power in the spiritual realm, breaking demonic strongholds. What is a demonic stronghold? It's when you've got a life-controlling issue, something you have reached for when you should have been reaching for God, and now it reaches for you. I'm talking addiction. I'm talking some negative emotion. Listen, it's more than a sin. It's something something you've done again and again and again, and now Satan has a hold of part of your life. You break that demonic stronghold through repentance of sin and through prayer and fasting over and over again. I'm telling you, the enemy relinquishes his right to your life. I'm telling you how to self-deliver from the adversary as a child of God. But not just individually. Listen, corporately as a church body, the church may be in America. How about in our city? There's a stronghold in our city. There's a stronghold in our country. Right now, once again, we are all talking about race and racism. Do you understand that is a demonic stronghold that began generations ago in our city? It is more than merely a sin. We're talking about a satanic spirit. Once again, now, we shouldn't pray and do nothing. As people of God, we should pray and then do something. I want you to know, I put together a task force in our church of African-American members, Caucasian members, and law enforcement who are members. We've done all the events in the past, kind of the one and done. I've preached on it over and over again. We've had like panel discussions up here about race and racism. We've done live events at Liberty Memorial and prayer rallies and prayer for unity. And, and I'm looking now for something that is missional and intentional and something that we can continue in doing that will start to move the needle in our city. 
that will start to change the culture and the climate of our city for years and years to come. Meeting again this week with that task force, anybody is welcome to come. But I want you to know, all of our planning, all of our programming, it means nothing if we're not praying. That's what I want you to see. We need to pray for this stronghold to be broken in our city and in our country. Do you know what Galatians 3.28 says? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female. We're all one in Christ Jesus. What the world needs is the gospel. Jesus has a way of ending the barriers that stand in the way. And that stronghold can be broken. I want you to see that he's now praying and a stronghold is literally about to be broken, a stronghold that he could not see, a stronghold that was taking place in the heavenlies. Now he's prayed for 21 days and now here's the answer to his prayer. He says, I lifted up my eyes and looked and behold, a certain man clothed in linen whose waist was girded with gold of Uphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color and the sound of his words like the voice of a multitude after 21 days guess who finally shows up personally I'm talking about the son of God Jesus the pre-incarnate Christ Christ before the manger Remember, he is deity, the second person of the Trinity. He's always existed for all of eternity. Now, we don't have to wonder who this is because the same description you get in Daniel chapter 10 is the same description John gives of what Jesus is and what he looks like now in Revelation chapter 1. I don't know what you picture in your mind's eye when you picture Jesus, but he don't look like he did on The Chosen, which, by the way, is an awesome series if you haven't seen it yet. It's not the one you picture hanging helplessly on the cross. No, Jesus today is not the suffering servant hanging helplessly on the cross, bloody and bruised and bleeding. No, today I want you to know he is the resurrected son of God. He is king of kings. He is Lord of lords. He is the sovereign monarch of might and majesty. You better not mess with him. He is the one who has a face like lightning, whose eyes are a flame of fire, whose feet and arms, he says, is like brazen brass, I mean shining brass. This is who Jesus is. And he's now come to personally minister to Daniel. Look what it says. It says in Daniel... I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. Now, I want you to notice there's a principle here. Don't, don't miss this. You can be very close to divine revelation and still miss it. Daniel's not the only one that is there, but he's the only one who saw Jesus. The others fled. You can be very close to meeting the Son of God and still miss him. And the difference is always the posture of your heart. See, Daniel's heart was ready because he had prayed and fasted for 21 days. And that's a picture of the average church. Friends, listen carefully. In every church, you have two kinds of people, those who get it and those that don't have the foggiest idea what is going on.
And it always has to do with the position, the posture of your heart, a heart of humility, a heart of the submitted completely to Christ's authority. And the sad tragedy is that Daniel saw Jesus and the others didn't. That's why many people hear the same sermon and one person is transformed and changed forever by the word of God and somebody else walks out those doors and nothing has changed. Everything is exactly the same. It all has to do with the heart of the individual. Do you come with expectation? Do you come with anticipation? Do you come with a heart of submission? I want you to see what happens next. He says, therefore, I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned to frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. You ever heard somebody say, wow, God just blew me away? That's what just happened to Daniel. God blew him away. He's in a deep sleep on his face, meaning he has passed out cold on his face. I want you to notice in Scripture, when people get in the presence of God, they don't fall backward. The pattern is always the same. They fall forward, flat on their face, passed out. You don't have to wonder what's going to happen when you see Jesus the first time. You're going to see Jesus. You know that someday, right? And your faith is going to become sight, and you're going to see this same Jesus that Daniel has now seen, and people talk about what they're going to do or what they're going to say. Well, I got a few questions I'm going to ask God when I see him. No, you won't. You know, we've sang about it. There's a song came out years ago. I think it was Casting Crowns. I can only imagine. I'm not going to sing it. Some of you are worried he's going to sing. No, you don't have to imagine what you're going to do. Because every time in Scripture somebody gets in the presence of God, poof, flat on their face. But guess what's going to happen? Same thing's going to happen here. He's going to stand you up and say these words, fear not, fear not. Now somebody else comes and wakes him up, not Jesus, but an angel. Suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hands. All of a sudden he's waking up. He's coming to, he's starting to raise up on his hands, palm of his hands, on his knees, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. He's now standing in the presence of an angel. You would be trembling too. All right, when, when, when you have never seen the things you are seeing now face to face, it would be a little scary. Angel's saying, fear not, I'm one of the good guys. Relax. Look what he says here. He says, do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God. He says, hey, from the first day you began to pray, 21 days before, 
as you begin to humble your heart before God, and there's the key to humble your heart before God. He says, from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Now, why did it take 21 days if from the first day he began to pray, God heard his prayer, and the angel was on the way, why did it take 21 days to finally get there? Here's the reason why. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, that's Michael the archangel, one of the chief princes came to help me, for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia. Now, there's an earthly king of Persia, but that's not the king that's in view here. Do you understand that for every earthly kingdom, there are spiritual kings, principalities, and powers? Remember Ephesians 6, 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities. What is a principality? A principality is a region geographically, and did you know that for every principality, region geographically, there is a demonic prince that's been assigned? to it from Satan himself. You see, for everything you see in the visible realm, there's something going on in the invisible realm. You have Satan's kingdom agenda, and you have God's kingdom agenda, and they're constantly in opposition. And so God dispatches this angel from the third heaven, the dwelling place of God, and somewhere in the cosmos, in the heavenlies, he gets accosted and held hostage by this demonic prince of Persia. Remember an earlier lesson, the demonic and the angelic realm is ordered through a chain of command. They don't all have the same rank. They don't carry the same power and authority. This angel that God sent was of lower rank, a lower power than this prince of Persia. He's holding him hostage. He doesn't want him to go to Daniel. But Daniel keeps praying. It's called breakthrough prayer. You keep praying through. You pray through. You keep praying with that urgency, that tenacity. Remember what it says in Ephesians 2, 2, Satan is the prince of the power of the air. Ephesians 6, 12, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness of this age, spiritual wickedness in heavenly places, the heavens. See, it's from there, the battleground is up there that affects the course of men down here. And I show you this because I want you to see what happens when you enter into warfare prayer. You enter into intergalactic warfare. You see, there is life up there. Not the kind of life UFO enthusiasts are looking for. Not the little E.T. phone home. Not that kind of life, but there is intelligent life up there. And it's from up there that they are waging war for the kingdoms of this world down here. If we could see right now in the heavenlies, when you look at the chaos of our world, oh, if we could see, and right here, we get to see. Now, he goes on, he says, now I have come to make you understand what will happen to your people in the latter days, the Jews, for the vision refers to many days yet to come. I want you to see what it says about angels. They are ministering spirits sent forth to minister for those who will inherit salvation. God has dispatched this angel to minister to Daniel, just like God has ministering messenger angels. Satan does too. Second Corinthians 12, what did Paul say? A messenger of Satan was sent to buffet me or afflict me. 
Now, he's done delivering the message God sent him for, and what we are learning is that the prayers of God's people empower God's angelic army against the demonic powers and principalities that war against us. I don't know why God is omnipotent. You know what that means? He is all-powerful. He does not need any help from you and me. But for reasons known only to God, he chooses to use his creatures, his creation, the angelic race and the human race. And somehow our prayers empower God's angel army as they war against Satan's. Now, this angel's about to go back up into heaven, the dwelling place of God, verse 20. He's saying goodbye to Daniel. Then he said, do you know why I've come to you? And now I must return to fight with the prince of Persia. And when I have gone forth, indeed, the prince of Greece will come. Hey, at this time in history, Greece is 200 years away from being born as a world empire. Alexander the Great is 200 years away from being born. Yet already, Satan was already preparing a demonic prince to reign over that earthly principality we know in history as the kingdom of Greece. What are we praying for? We are praying a warfare prayer at Abundant Life. We are praying that God would advance his kingdom against all opposition, that God would release his spirit, and the awakening and revival fires would once again kindle. I want you to see this because I want you to begin praying a warfare prayer that God would send the fire of God once again upon our lives. Church, here we are in my backyard at my fire pit. You know, when I look at this fire pit, I think of the modern church. There used to be fire here. I mean, you can see the remnants of fire. The fire once burned. But when you think about the modern church, this is kind of what it looks like in my mind's eye currently. There's a remnant of fire, but it's not really currently burning. And we need to build a fire through prayer. You know, throughout Scripture, God is considered fire. In fact, Hebrews 12, 29 says he's a consuming fire. And so in Scripture, fire is associated with God's presence. And if you want the power of God and the presence of God, you've got to learn to build a fire uh, through a powerful prayer life. Listen, the power you live with in life is directly proportional to the prayer that you have in life. Little prayer, little power. And so if we want the power of God to come back in the church, we've got to begin by building a fire. Now here's the reality. You don't get fire... Uh, without fuel. And if you want the fire of God, you got to become the fuel of God. And that's what exactly uh, Elijah taught when he prayed fire down from heaven. Uh, we're going to be praying fire down from heaven. What that means is we've got to put ourselves on the altar. Fire does not fall on an empty altar. And so it's about learning to put yourself first and foremost on the altar as we begin praying for the fire of God to fall upon our life. Remember, as a believer, that fire is not judgment fire. For the believer, that fire is a purifying fire. Now, if you don't know Jesus, the fire of God has to do with the wrath of God. But for you and I that are redeemed of God, that fire is a purifying fire. And that's what happens when we spend time in prayers. You get on the altar and you prepare your altar and your life becomes that living sacrifice. Now you're ready to begin building the fire. And what do you do through prayer? Uh, you begin lighting a fire through prayer. And this is what this looks like. Just uh, one little fire at a time, one little stick at a time. And it begins building a little fire. And I'm convinced this is kind of the 
the picture of our church right now. There's a little fire burning. There's a little flame burning. And you know, Jesus said the Holy Spirit is like the wind. What does fire need? Fire needs fuel. We've got the fuel of God. We are the fuel of God. As we put ourselves on the altar before God, we have the wind of the Holy Spirit on a windy day like this. It has the power to completely throw this fire everywhere. Fire is contagious. And this is what happens when you pray. When you begin to pray, you are kindling a fire personally. And as you add your stick, your life with somebody else's, uh, we are literally in some way kindling a bonfire for Jesus. The revival fire of God is beginning to burn. Now, if you want the fire of God to burn even hotter and brighter, try fasting. I don't completely understand what this means scripturally. I know when you fast, you are emptying yourself of your worldly, temporal, carnal nature, and you're asking God to fill you up with his spiritual, powerful presence. And you're saying no to your physical cravings and yes to God's spiritual cravings. Remember what Jesus taught. And we enter into spiritual warfare. We are praying against the demonic. We are praying against Satan's angel army that we're wrestling with. You remember what Jesus said when the disciples came and said, well, we can't cast out this demon. Why can't we cast out this demon? Twice, Jesus said, some demons come out only through prayer and fasting. And so when you fast in some way, it adds a dimension of power to your prayer. Yeah, I know I'm breaking all the rules here, but I've done it a lot of time before. You see, when you pray, you're adding a dimension of power before God, and when you fast, in some capacity, it fuels the power of God in your life in even greater ways. This is what we need to live a power-packed life for Jesus. Little prayer, little power, much prayer, much power. So how much power do you want? He is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. I want to give you three principles of warfare prayer very quickly. Number one is this, pray in Jesus' name. Pray in Jesus' name. We, we, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Sometimes it's just some mindless little tag on the end, but it's more than that, so much more than that. Jesus taught us to pray in his name because his name carries power. His name carries authority. Philippians 2.9, God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name that is named, that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Do you understand that Demons bow down at the name of Jesus. Demons back up at the name of Jesus. Jesus said in Matthew 28, 19, all power and authority has been given to him in heaven and upon earth. He has all authority, and do you understand? He has now delegated that authority to me and you. Luke chapter 10, behold, I give you power and authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy. You see, when you invoke Jesus' name, you're exercising your kingdom authority he has given you as a child of God. This is how you pray a warfare prayer. You invoke his name, understanding it's, it's the ultimate authority in the universe. In the same way, if you have children at home like I did, my kids are getting grown up, almost grown up, got one left. He's an only child now. 
You had three. We had three. Now, now we just have one. I remember when they were little. Be time for dinner. Kids outside playing. Say, Jake, go get your brother and sister. Time to eat. Come back a minute later. Dad, they won't listen. They won't come. I'd say, Jake, go tell your brother and sister, Dad said. About 30 seconds later, here they all three come running. You know why? Because Dad's name carries more authority than Jake's name. And they knew it. You understand? Jesus' name is a name of power, no other name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. Has it been the moment in your life that you surrendered your life to him, the lordship of Jesus Christ? You will have a Lord in your life. It will either be a dark Lord by the name of Satan or the one that came to set you free. Number two is this, pray volumes. There is value in the volume of prayer. Do you remember he prayed 21 days? Just imagine, had he given up on day three? Well, God's not listening. Had he given up on day 10? I guess God isn't there. Had he given up on day 15? God must not be there. Had he given up on day 19? He never would have seen the breakthrough to his prayer. There's value in the volume of prayer. Pray always, never cease, never stop, never give up. Supplication, urgency, tenacity, that bull mentality. I hope that you're in a group in close relationship with others in this community. Do you understand that when you pray together with others, there's supernatural synergy that takes place in the heavenlies. There's power. There's value in the volume. Number three is this, pray God's word. Learn to pray back the promises of God as you pray, the word of God as you pray. You know why? Hey, some people think, well, God can do anything, can he? The answer is no. God cannot do anything. He cannot lie. Can't lie. He cannot break his own word. He cannot violate his own character. What that means is God has promised it. He will absolutely perform it. When you pray back God's word, you know that you're praying God's will. That is a breakthrough prayer. Let's do that right now. Whether you're watching online, worshiping at home, right here in Lee Summit or in Blue Springs, would you bow with me? Jesus, we are praying for the fire of God to fall. We are putting ourselves on the altar. Lord, fire does not fall on an empty altar. Wherever you find yourself right now, if you're willing to be the fuel of God and get on the altar as a living sacrifice before God, would you just stand your feet right now? We're going to pray. Jesus, we stand today because the posture of our heart is kneeling. We surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We prepare our altar for the fire of God to fall upon our lives. Lord, forgive us of our prayerlessness, which is the reason for our powerlessness. Help us to become powerful by becoming prayerful. We pray for a move of the Holy Spirit all over this land.
among all those that name your name, beginning with each of us individually, God, our church corporately, we confess our complete futility. Break these demonic strongholds in our city and in our families. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.